0: Halliburton was stunned. Malinka. Uh, the league is stunned at this trade. First hand for three. Haliburton. Oh! What a great read! Now he's gonna steal. Cortez oh. throws it down. There's Turner just back in. Gets his own board going strong. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Cornrows Podcast. This is your host Mark Schindler. As always, if you haven't already, be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Hit us up in the Indie Cornrows comment section, and uh, most importantly, as we this is our final first round draft pod, uh, which is kind of hard to believe considering how it feels like we've been doing this for a lot longer than we have been. But um, be sure to go check out every every other one that we've done before this, including the writing that Caitlin and I have had along with it on any corners.com. Caitlin, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. I'm like already prepared myself for the reality that we've done. I don't remember how many episodes of these and that the likelihood that the Pacers will draft somebody else or <laughs> yeah. will trade the pick and all of this will have been for nothing.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. It's, uh, it's entirely possible. And I am not really looking forward to that reality, at least at the moment. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. We can uh, we can only react to what happens and, and and project what we think could be. So it all depends.
1: And in that regard, they've had so far on Friday, they had Benedict Mathern in for a solo workout, had Dyson Daniels in. And then this week they have AJ Griffin and jo- Johnny Davis coming in for solo workouts as well. So, so far, we've nailed the solo workouts, Mark.
0: Yeah, we've been absolutely on the money. So I, we, we can't complain about that. Um, who are we talking about today? Because this is our, as you mentioned before, uh, when, when we put out the last part, it was our penultimate episode. Also, of course, go listen to the the Dyson Daniels pod with Dakota Schmidt. It was a great time. Um, but yeah, who are we talking about today on our final, uh, final episode
1: today? We're going back to our forever beat, which is comparing and contrasting centers. Yeah. We never escaped from it. So we're going to talk about Jalen Duran because he does seem to be in range there. You never know what the Pacers plans are going to be. So we felt like it was only right and fair to go ahead and talk about the last person who we felt might be available when the Pacers are on the clock.
0: Yeah. Um, I think this one is more projection and talking about team fit and team direction than perhaps anything else that we've done. Um, I guess the first thing that I want to ask you, before we even get into stock up, stock down, uh, what are your general thoughts just on the idea of Jalen Durant at six to the Indiana Pacers?
1: Yeah, I think this is important to talk about. So I'm glad you brought that up because I think even before we head in, this is how I approached it in the writing. And I think that's probably how both of us are going to approach it here that I feel like in order for the Pacers to take Jalen Durant, they need to feel like He, on his own merits, is special enough, regardless of what else they have, to take him and justify that at number six. So you really need to evaluate him through the lens of, you know, what unique factors does he project to add over and above the other three centers that they, have you know, still have on the roster that they themselves have drafted? Or, you know, what might he be able to bring and complement to any of the three of them to justify doing that? Because this can't be, I don't know how you feel about it. I will add this as a, like just a tiny mini rant. It can't be, well, we don't want to pay. And I'm not saying the Pacers feel this way. I'm just saying this is a hypothetical. Well, we don't want to pay Miles Turner $97 million in an extension. And this is a cheap option. And I'm not saying that's what the Pacers would do, but that can't be your thought process going into it. At least not for me. You can't use a top six pick on, oh, that's a center and he would be a cheap replacement.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. I'm, I'm right with you in the same boat. And actually in in doing some of the write-up already, I think you and I have sort of the same line of thinking here. Like what makes him interesting to me is that if you don't have – like he is somebody to me where fit is going to be incredibly important for his development because if you're not going to lean into what can make him um, – or what, what I think the avenues are for him as an offensive player, if you're not going to lean into them – which I, that's a very big talking point we're going to hit on. Um, then I'm just not sure that I see the case in drafting him this high.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think we're on the same page.
0: Yeah. So what is stock up, stock down for those who have never, uh, never listened before. Or stock up, stock down.
1: If you're not, if you haven't tapped in until this being our final episode is we've each watched the same sample of games. And this week, We picked to watch Jalen Duran and Memphis play against Virginia Tech, Alabama, and Houston. And that was somewhat deliberate on my part because those were all three teams that um, made it and either advanced or at least qualified for the NCAA tournament. So I wanted to see him against, you know, a little bit stronger competition. And we both watched all those games. And then we each picked something that we are either bearish or bullish about. And typically... We have on a guest, but this week the two of us felt like because there's so much pacer specific context needed here that maybe we would just go solo and take the training wheels off for this final episode.
0: Yeah, and I'm excited for it. I uh, I have watched in the draft class, I haven't watched a player more than Jalen Dern. I, I've watched him for about probably shit, like two, two and a half years now. Cause I watched him UIBL, watched him at Mont Um, So I followed him really closely in Memphis this year. Before we even get into stock up, stock down, like I do want to ask you just in general, your thoughts on Memphis as a team, because I do think that is, again, something very important to bring up is the team dynamic and context. um, Like talking, uh, like like we brought up with G League Ignite, I do think there are some things to bring up with with Memphis as well.
1: Yeah, functionally, I don't think at the next level, I mean, just the NBA in general is trending this way, but... I don't think he should have been used twice as much in the post as he was as the role man, which was the case. His post frequency was much higher than what it was in the role, and I don't think there was a lot of justification necessarily for that, aside from the fact that they didn't really have a table setter to be setting him up. So sometimes I think they probably felt like we'll throw it there into him in the post. He does have a physical advantage in the conference that we play in and let him do maybe some creation there. But I mean, those two things stand out. And with regards to the Pacers, I don't think either of those two things would probably be happening all that much. I don't think Rick Carlisle is going to be like, oh, let's have his post-up frequency be 20% compared to 10% on the roll. And like, we're not going to pair him in, in minutes with Tyrese Halliburton. So he doesn't really have somebody to manipulate and pilot the pick and roll for him. And we're also, when he does post up, if he happens to draw a double, we're just going to stay and not have any off ball cutting or, you know, a lot of credible shooting around him either. So the context does certainly matter.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like you're pointing out, I think it's, uh it's really tough for him to uh, um, like, it's very tough to look at um, look at his, his context because Memphis, like you mentioned, they really did not have a true ball handler. Uh, much of the year, the, their their playmaking was pretty lacking. They they didn't really have any off the dribble scoring, uh, especially as sh- as shooters. Um, and I also think like it's important to know, like the, the, just the spacing. All in all, was like it was pretty ghastly at times. I uh, very similar to to watching league Ignite play. So um, yeah, it was uh it was certainly a team. It, it I will say though, it did get a lot better as the year went on. It wasn't perfect, but uh, I do think they leaned in a little bit more into it and, and getting him moving on the role because like especially like we'll talk about with that Virginia Tech game, um, a lot of post-ups in that game. But um, yeah, where do you want to get started with this?
1: So for my stock up, because of what we've said, I've just basically identified sort of a running list of things that like if you're comparing him to what the Pacers already have and Miles Turner, Isaiah Jackson, and Goga Batadze, and who knows what they plan on doing exactly with Goga at this point in time. But um, what do I think that Jalen Duran can either currently do better or projects down the road to do better than any of the three of them? And to a certain extent, when you look at him just as like, the basic chalk outline of being this explosive leaper and lob threat who can block shots in a lot of variety of waves, kind of survive under the right specific circumstances on switches and and also occasionally operate as a release valve. He has little bits and pieces of all three of them to a degree, Mm -hmm. but I mainly went with the first thing being the short roll passing, and I'm interested to get your opinion on this because the game against Houston, I think really showcased this yeah. the most. He had some nice ones against Alabama as well, where I think he just looks a lot more comfortable making reads and passes out of the short roll than he does in the post where mm-hmm. his processing, and there's not a lot of manipulation there or processing, especially if they don't have any off ball cutting around him versus what he's finding. However, just off top off rip, when you watch him making passes out of that and how the opposing teams were covering him. What was your impression?
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good point. I think what's interesting with him is what's going to happen with an intermediate game, because there were a lot of teams that were willing to press up on him and just like create uh, like they would leave backside open um, or a, like, you know, if somebody was going to come from, uh, uh, from the weak side on a cut, like there, there that was going to be available Um, I, and I think that's a lot of what's going to be talked about. The second part of this this podcast is just like, what can happen with that? Because I don't, especially, you know, watching like teams are not going to care to tag up on him when he's coming down the lane. I do think he has like, I've seen a lot of people like, Oh, I can't dribble. I I do think he's pretty successful with one or two dribbles and then getting into something. But again, like he shot like less than 35% on floaters this year on a pretty low volume that, tracks going back to high school too so I think you're doing a lot of projection out with what does that look like but yeah I thought is that kind of what you're getting at
1: yeah I mean he was two of ten on floaters he does hit uh right at the end of the late shot clock he made like an elbow floater against the game that we watched against Houston but yeah I mean I think that more and more like especially I've seen this more on some European teams as well, some in the NBA. I mean, Goga saw some people helping up in the short roll where what we're basically talking about is the low man coming over will actually go up and meet that guy versus Mm -hmm. staying back to protect against cutters and and taking away the contest at the rim. I'm not convinced to the degree that we're seeing in these games that that's going to happen when you shoot 35% outside of 10 feet. I mean, he made eight jumpers. total eight jump shots for memphis this season so i'm thinking back and i have this in the write-up a comparison that i would make and i know this is supposed to be stock up but i do think it's valid to parse when we're talking about his playmaking that the game that it was the name mcmillan's final season they played the bulls and sabonis didn't play miles turner was the starter And you're going up against Jim Boylan, and I know what people are going to think when I say that. Like, yes, he ran a very inflexible hedge scheme that needed to be adjusted more. I know what the Jim Boylan narrative out of Chicago is. Like, I agree. I get it. But one thing that he did is he refused to have his defenders help up in the short roll. They stayed back on what we're describing, pretty much no matter who it was. Like, Miles Turner that year shot 51% in the non-restricted area of the paint. Good. And when he came out and started that game, the Bulls still played back and made him demonstrate proof of product before the second half to Miles' credit. He made a lot of those shots and then they did adjust it, but only after he had made the shots. So I think like generally speaking, if people know me, like if you ask me, hey, which would you rather have the most ideal rim roller in the NBA, the most ideal short roller in the NBA or the most ideal pick and pop player? there would be no question that I would want the most ideal short roller because you're automatically putting a team in rotation. But in order to do that, you have to be somewhat somebody that they're going to respect from the in-between area. So unless you're projecting that, I don't know that we're going to see the same degree of passing, because even when he's finding the corner shooters, a lot of times what you're going to see is – I didn't really understand it because a lot of teams helped off the side with only one shooter. I think automatically like, well, that's, that's the weak side. That's where our help comes from. And I, I think more NBA teams are going to be like, we're going to bring somebody over from the two side, even if it's a longer help mm-hmm. and then zone up the other two shooters. I don't think they're going to do what a lot of these college teams are doing in that regard either. And then even if just people are watching the finals, you're going to see like the warriors. If if Jason Tatum gets blitzed and Al Horford's the short roller, they do a big to big switch that automatically takes away that read spot so that that log to Robert Williams isn't there as often. So I think NBA teams are going to be a little bit more sophisticated, whether it's peel switching, whether it's not helping up, whether it's being um, more deliberate with which side they're bringing the help from, where I don't think that it's going to be, the short roll of passing is going to be as pronounced as what we've seen. That being said, I do think some of the reads that we are, because we can't penalize him for the way that teams are guarding him completely. Cause he is making the reads. He does have nice touch throwing those like little lobs over the top to the dunker that I think he's ahead of where miles and Ajax are in that regard. We saw Ajax do a little bit of passing in summer league, but that didn't necessarily translate to this season in part because they were just mostly rim rolling him. But Um, I do think that that's one area where he to this point, before we've seen him against a little bit more sophisticated coverages distinguishes himself.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, It makes it uh, it makes it a lot more interesting in trying to figure out what that looks like at the next level, because if you don't have um, the ability to like if, if, if I mean, just again, like you mentioned, if you're getting covered differently it's not going to come out in the same way like we talked about so much with domas like and a lot of it wasn't necessarily on domas it was like the way that the the team was a, a treated spacing wise in general like just watching those celtics games when domas was here and how willing they were to to lean off of shooters like i think that's uh it's it's very w- w- worth worth bringing up and, and contemplating
1: yeah because i mean the difference there with sabonis is he can do a little bit more in terms of manipulation when he catches it in that zone. I mean, a lot of the times for him, it was that he wasn't catching it in those zones because defenses were pulled in, like you're saying, and and Brogdon and Lavert just weren't that great at, at getting the ball there. And they weren't going to get blitzed to the degree that Tyrese is to make that more open. But in his case, like, I do, I mean, there were some times where Duran did put the ball on the floor quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. taking one or two dribbles, moving toward the basket, that's going to be important to actually force the defense to commit to him because Sabonis doesn't really have, you know, an issue doing that. He's somebody that can use a fake handoff, can do other stuff. I mean, this isn't necessarily using handoffs, but he he wasn't afraid to take multiple dribbles to power himself to the rim in that situation. And not that Durin necessarily is, but I think that's going to have to be an area that he continues to show growth in more than what we saw here. Because, I mean, one thing that you did say, when you mentioned not having a lot of off the dribble threats is like, he's having to rescreen on like
0: oh, all every, the time.
1: every possession. And he does have a little bit of Goga in him and that a lot of his screens are non-intentional slips. Yeah. I think he's going to have to improve as a, as a definitely. screener as well, that's because he's, up. he's not making, they're not sticking. His picks aren't sticking very often.
0: Mm-hmm. No, definitely. I think that's a really good point. Um, one of the things you hit on too, that I really wanted to, um, to to talk about you mentioned just doing things quicker and it's not even like like you mentioned i think his processing speed really improved throughout the season for me especially like you mentioned because he was doing a little bit less out of the post uh, as the year went on um still a decent amount but you know not the not the same as, as earlier um i just want to see him do things with more quickness like i want to see him roll harder like you mentioned the screens as well like i don't I, I think some people would think that it's like a, an effort thing i don't it doesn't come off as an effort thing to me i think it's just more like how he moves on court partially um but like even getting into jump shots which that's something we'll, we'll talk about But like getting into his jump shots getting into dribble moves getting into like i want to see that be a lot faster um because especially him being a little bit undersized height wise at the center spot like that's something that And especially for somebody who's doing more like off the catch, like I want to see that stuff be a lot faster.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it's it's almost like he has a little bit of both where he needs to be more aggressive, but he also at times needs to calm down and assess what the defense is actually doing, particularly in the post before he like. Well, we're going to get into that in my stock down. So I won't say that much about that. But um, I did have, I mean, I kind of have three separate sections just because I wanted to pinpoint the things that I thought, at least at this current stage of, you know, him only being. I mean, because this is something that else we need to bring up. this He's still only 18 years old. <laughs> like, hes I don't think he even turns 19 until next NBA season starts, correct? Yeah. Like he's the yeah, youngest he's, player. He's the
0: youngest player in the draft. So he reclassed yeah. from 2023.
1: Right. So... The other thing that I wanted to bring up is the rebounding. So how do you feel about him overall as a rebounder?
0: Yeah, that's that's something interesting that I want to bring up too. If you just look purely at his rebounding numbers, they look fine. Um, but he, to me, is somebody very much so who got rebounds because he's bigger and stronger than everybody else, not because he's good at boxing out or positioning. Um, Like, I do think like he has a pretty good feel for where the ball is going to go. But there are like, especially against Houston, like I thought, uh, I'm trying to remember what number 25's name was, but when he came in, like, he struggled a little bit with interior screens, um, with dealing with interior screens, and just struggle in general with jostling for rebounding position. And I think that that is something that we're going to see more at the NBA level that he's going to have to work on.
1: Yeah, I think again. Yeah. I mean, maybe against like behemoths, but overall I kind of felt a little bit differently. I felt pretty impressed with him as a rebounder in terms of the different ways that he could get them. I felt he was pretty attentive on a lot of his box outs. When I watched, I mean, I tried to watch as many of his rebounds as I could and the fact that he was soaring to get long rebounds is the thing that kind of stood out the most to me. Like two years ago, the Pacers ranked like in the bottom five of the league and collecting long rebounds. And I don't think that was totally because of Sabonis and miles. I mean, we've talked about this in ad nauseum of what some of their issues from the wing positions had been, whether we're talking about Jeremy lamb or sometimes TJ Warren wanting to leak out and get to the other end and, you know, on and on and on. But I think he does a pretty good job at seeking that contact out and then extending with either hand and being able to reach up and grab and snatch that down. I mean, we never can completely know until we see them at the next level, but I mean, just for context, it would kind of be hard to be a lot worse than what the Pacers saw, especially after the trade well, that's deadline, a fair point. <laughs> yeah. especially after the trade deadline last year, because they ranked 25th, in opponent offensive rebounding rate right after Sabonis was traded. And if you go over and look at NBA shot charts, formulation of defensive, rebounding real adjusted plus minus which measures in not only the rebounds that that player gets but whether they're like it's their overall rebounding impact and whether the team gets a rebound while they're on the floor miles was slightly positive for only the second time in his career this year and he was point plus three he ranked 130th in the league from as a center and that actually looks stellar in comparison to goga who ranked 438 and was -0.11 and over. even better than Ijax who ranked 444th and was -0.27. So like Duran was one of only three freshmen in the country with a 20% defensive rebounding rate, 10% assist rate and 9% block rate, which those are again like you can't take everything into like arbitrary markers. I use those because that's what his baselines were, but um Miles and Ijax didn't hit those marks and and you know they played he, Miles obviously played for Texas and Ijax played for Kentucky and that's another piece of the context, but um I actually was somewhat optimistic, given that he's only six nine. About what I saw of him as a defensive rebounder.
0: Yeah, I should have. Yeah, I think uh, I was maybe a little bit too harsh. Like, um, you're definitely right. Like, I think in terms of just like the actual ability to, um, like, it just his actual innate rebounding ability is pretty insane. Like, his hands have to be massive. I don't remember. Um, I should have looked up his hand size before this, but if I remember correctly, he tested extremely well with combine with that and it it tracks watching on court.
1: And I think it also plays out in a lot of different contexts because he has quite a bit of dexterity, both offensively and defensively, and that he catches lobs with only one hand, both hands to some and to certain extents and, you know, blocks shots with both hands as well.
0: Yes. No, definitely. He has, yeah, he has ambidexterity defensively, offensively. That's another thing we'll get to in a, uh, in the right, second part of the right. pod, but yeah. Um. I mean, are you ready for me to transition in my stock up?
1: I just had one oh, other yeah, point sure. that I wanted to make. Um. And I'm guessing that you will probably bring this up as well. I did want mm-hmm. to touch a little bit defensively because I think that what my takeaway as his strong point is probably going to be a little bit different than consensus because When they played Alabama, for instance, I was fairly impressed with the way that I call it pick and roll stabs, pick and roll poke that, you know, especially when an opponent goes into a hostage dribble and gets their man on their back, I liked what he did in drop in terms of reaching his arm out and keeping, you know, a hand on the roller and slowing the momentum of the ball handler when they get in that hostage situation to buy time for the on-ball defender to get back. And again, like I kind of brought that up not with regard to miles but more so isaiah jackson and goga In that you know goga's in year three Ijax is you know just his first year but both of them can be a lot more straight up and down in those settings where you know if tyrese gets creamed by the pick and then his guy goes to snake in front Ijax is just kind of straight up and down and there's no time for you know tyrese to be able to recover and then he's just being attacked at kind of a weird angle i like durance i think it this is going to sound like maybe a bit of a hot take. I think I like his hand activity to this point, being a little bit ahead of his footwork and his court navigation.
0: Yes. That's, that's so, oh God, Caitlin, we are so in sync. I just thought this is awesome. Um, I cannot express enough. Like, I think like it's easy for and I, God, I'm not trying to make it sound like people are all casual fans. I just mean like, it's easy to see like what he does in ground coverage and, blocking the shit out of things from you know traveling 15 feet to get to the room and blow things up but like like you mentioned his pick and roll defense is really advanced for somebody his age like um i'm not trying to make it just a comparison thing but just looking straight up like would you agree that he is probably a little bit further ahead as a pick and roll defender than miles was at this stage like when he came in as a rookie
1: yeah, I mean I'd have to go back and really kind of study yeah. Miles's film, but I I mean I I don't think I'm going far out on a limb to say that I think he's already more advanced than Ijax yeah. as a pick and roll defender. No,
0: 100 percent And uh I'm I am right there with you. Like it's like you mentioned the the stuff that he does, like Memphis had a pretty good defense overall, and I think a lot of it was they had they had length, a lot of a lot of solid athletes too. But I mean, what Duran did to, to organize things was just so impressive to me. Um, the hand, and and like you mentioned too, the hand activity is such a minute thing that it doesn't seem super noticeable all the time. But once somebody starts doing it, like when Miles really started doing it two years ago and got really good at it, you're like, oh, wow. Okay. You see the difference it makes. Like you force somebody to, to pick up the ball earlier and to stifle things instead of letting it be a wide open drive. Like, yeah, I I really like, I really like you bringing up that point. Um, and we'll talk about, uh. Do you want to talk about the footwork now? I guess we can talk about the footwork now because that was a good point to bring up as well. Like, I think even for me, like, I feel like some of the stock downs with him, except for one, like, kind of glaring one, like, the stock downs are mostly, like, I just need time from from him to see what he gets to with it. Because, like you mentioned, I think the biggest weakness he has right now, other than one of the things we'll talk about the stock down, like, is where his footwork is at. Like, even defensively, I don't think his footwork's that great yet. Um and I think, like offensively too, that shows up a lot on the role. and especially like when he uh, when he deals with contact, especially in the post. I think you like see where his footwork is at, and it's not great right now. But I think that also, like, I think a lot would play into what team intel is on what kind of worker worker he is, and and how he wants to improve his game or how he's going to improve his game. Because I think that stuff, I mean, that's all very coachable things, especially when you're looking at like a scale of like, can this be taught? Can you learn this? Um, like what he displays already without even having a lot of the technicalities down is what makes it all the more impressive to me.
1: Yeah, I think that the footwork is an interesting one because this is where I want to have a little bit of a mini rant Mm -hmm. about our takes in general, not you and I, but just like as a basketball community in terms of when we discuss whether somebody can switch or not. Like, for one, there are so few people that can switch one through five. Like, we don't need to start acting like everyone. Like, I feel like that comes up in draft discussion a lot about, oh, this big, he's switchable or whatever. I'm like, what do you mean when you say that? Like, what are you specifying that they can hold up in a late clock situation, that they can stay between the ball and the basket? Like, what exactly does that mean? And switching is clearly becoming more important in the NBA. Like, I don't begrudge pointing it out as a thing, but... I don't know that there's more to switching than what I just said. Like, I think when I watch him, he has some, some impressive possessions mirroring the ball. Like I, I want to take that away. I think he moves fairly well, similar to what we see with Isaiah Jackson, but I'm not always thrilled with, the actual i would term it you know handing over his his receiving of the player coming off of the switch in terms of where he's at on the court or if it needs to be a late switch situation in terms of like okay the guard got creamed by the screen you now need to switch onto the ball his court navigation to go from being in that drop to then being able to go over and contest the shot there's a little bit of a slow delay in processing there and he's just not always up at the level when he needs to receive the ball handler off the switch. So a lot of times that will give that shooter a little bit of space to be able to pull. And I think he has to play back a little bit. So, you know, at the NBA level, when you're playing more guards, you are able to, you know, be in isolation and shoot from three. I think that's going to show up a little bit more than what we're seeing in the college setting when, you know, he's being billed as somebody who can switch one through five.
0: Yeah. I think you bring up such a great point. And our our friend and former guest PD Webb had a great friend on this a couple of days ago, like this is great. So this is a uh, this is from our friend PD Web at above the break three on Twitter. You should have to cite five peer reviewed sources before typing can switch one through five on a scouting report because there are like 10 people on Earth that can reliably switch across all positions.
1: Exactly. I'm going
0: fifty dollars. I will review the film on your use of the term. If you are correct, I'll return the money. Um. Yeah. I think like in some ways it can like sound like we're being unfair, but it's just true. Like watching, I think one of the things that that gets people hung up is just because somebody is long and in the way doesn't mean that they're capable of switching. Like Mm -hmm. I think uh, it comes up a lot. Like I think Scotty Barnes is a really great example. And this is not me trying to slander Scotty Barnes rather like he got billed during the year. And especially like when he was at Florida state as being somebody who can switch one through five. And I still am not there with him. Like I think, he has moments of being able to do it, but a lot of what makes it work is how long and active the Raptors are as a team. It's not necessarily like this guy can hold up on an island and stop something. Like to me, somebody who's switching one through five is somebody who can actually stifle the ball and prevent middle penetration on the perimeter with their length and lateral quickness. Like there are not a lot of players who can do that. Duran has moments, like you mentioned, like he has some good late, late clock stuff he's shown the ability to, like you said, mirror the ball and, and like even, you know, shielding drives and blocking somebody at the rim. But again, that's not necessarily one through five switch ability. Like that's just, it's different when you're, when you're six nine with a, like a seven, four wingspan. Yeah. I'm expecting you to be able to ride. Like, I mean, it's impressive that he has a lateral quickness to hold up. Um, but like if you're riding out a, a six, two guard to the rim and then block a shot, like no offense, but like, I kind of expect you to be able to do that if you're a top 10 pick, like, that's kind of just being an NBA player when you're playing against, uh, you know, uh, Division One athletes like there, there's a there, there's separation levels. Well,
1: exactly. I mean, how many games could you have pointed it out? I mean, this is just the truth. The Pacers were basically a display and how not to switch for a large portion of the back end of that season. And it's not because Isaiah Jackson couldn't, you know, stay with a guard out on the perimeter. It's because of the initial the player on ball is disconnecting way too early. And then the big isn't at the point of the screen to actually receive that guard. So like they're down in Atlanta and, you know, Dwayne Washington releases from Trey young and Trey young's just walking into a shot when they were intentionally switching. It wasn't like, you know, Dwayne just got creamed by a pick. Like they wanted to be switching it. They just weren't executing that initial aspect of it. And I think so much we think about what happens when that guard actually starts to penetrate and whether that big can, you know, slide their feet and stay in front. And that's that much only matters. If you can do the initial, um, Trading of assignments with proper technique. And I'm not saying that Duran can't necessarily get there. I just think that a lot of those same issues showed up whenever, you know, stuff that we see of Isaiah, Isaiah Jackson, which they're both very young. They have time to learn that. And I think that the mobility does matter in terms of your ability to do the rest of it and get better at it. But that's just a very tiny piece of switching. But that's just my mini rant on it. But
0: no, I think that was perfect. I'm glad that you did it because I was going to do it too. I think, if anything, from what we've seen. In his time at Memphis and just in general, like I think I'm just very enthused about what his coverage versatility could be. Like I think there's been a lot of painting him as like, oh, this is strictly a drop big. And I think that couldn't be further from the truth. Like, and that I mean, that goes into my stock up. My stock up for him is what he does in ground coverage. Like, um, and again, this is not trying to pit people against each other, but like I think just legitimately on tools alone, he's able to cover more ground than Miles does. Like, that's not trying to be unfair, but I think, like, just legitimately, like, there are plays where he, because Memphis was willing to switch quite a bit this year with him, um, he would be out in the slot on, like, a wing or guard or something, and somebody would drive from the opposite corner, and he's coming in and, and swatting at through. rim. not saying that Miles can do that, but point, point being, like, the way that he's able to cover and take away ground is just kind of insane. Um, and again, like we mentioned, like, there's still so much stuff that can be improved technique-wise as well. Um, and it's not just that it's like, he's very, and especially because of like you mentioned with the hand activity and and stabbing and pick and roll, like he's very comfortable coming up and playing close to the level right now. I don't think it's perfect. And again, like these, he's got a lot of room to, to work on. And I think part of what makes it interesting as well, considering he's the youngest player in the draft, you're willing to give him a little bit more leeway for sure. Um, considering he could have been playing high school instead of college this year. Um, like, I think to me, I don't know, like, like, you, like we just talked about, I don't think at all that he's going to be like, uh, like, a like, he's not bam out of bio like that. But again, like bam out of bio is one of one in the NBA. Um, he's one of the like, 10 or less players that can switch one through five capably. And maybe he does get to a point where he does have some of that switchability, especially late clock. But I do think like he's going to be capable of doing pretty much any coverage in the NBA outside of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, one thing that I think that stands out too when you're talking about the coverage versatility, and if we're just comparing him strictly to Miles, which don't, I don't want anybody to get it twisted. Both of us understand that Miles has years of experience and has become a very technical and good drop pick and roll defender. Like, none of, neither of us are taking that away. But I will say that, like, what Duran is able to do at times with his high point in a block to block a floater. I'm not I don't necessarily know that Miles consistently has in his bag like that that block he had against Virginia Tech when he oh, rotates over yeah. from the weak side and gets that floater like those are giant killers. Like the reason you go for that is because a big is in a drop, you could stop early and you can, you know, float it up above their standing reach. And the fact that he can stand up and get those, like there's been games in the past where that's been somewhat of a soft spot that teams will go to in part because miles does to a degree. He did I mean, we both talked about it, did a fair amount of shot block baiting this year where he kind of lets the the player go by because he wants to get those in recovery. But like for instance, just to bring up a player, um, like I think it was still under Nate Bjorkran's tenure, but they played in Cleveland and Colin Sexton just absolutely ethered the pacers from floater range because mm-hmm. Miles was staying back. And like I I've seen Duran be able to get those. So that just kind of speaks to how much of a ridiculous athlete he is.
0: Yeah, no one hundred percent. And the reaction time is so, so good too. It's yeah, he's 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 really damn damn good on that. And I'm trying to think if I had anything else I wanted to add defensively. Um I do think like he showed some stuff communication wise. That's another thing where I would love to like be Mike Schmitz and sit down with him and do film together one-on-one and see, you know, like, how are you, you know, how are you communicating things out? How are you doing this? How are you doing that? Like, that's the kind of stuff that we can like certainly take stabs at and watching. And I think you pick up on that much better than I do personally, but uh, it's something I'm trying to work on. But yeah, I think uh, I, yeah, we're, we're very much, uh, I think in the same boat on that.
1: Well, do you want to – I mean, we've kind of touched on the stock down in a yeah. roundabout way, but do you want to move to the stock downs?
0: Yeah, I think – I mean, you and I are going to have the same stock down, aren't we? Well, before we – I mean, are we merging this and talking with the team in general? Or?
1: Yeah, I mean, my stock okay. down, I mainly picked it I, – I mean, I'll just say what it is. It's post-play. Yeah. Um, my stock down is that in the sense that I'm, again, looking at this through the lens of Miles and Isaiah Jackson and Goga – in that if you're looking to address something that is somewhat of a weakness already for the Pacers, I don't think that Duran is necessarily gonna have an edge over the three of them to like currently in that area. And the sense that like, yes, I don't think Rick Carlisle is a big fan of running actual post-up plays to get a big a touch with intention to, i mean that's why it took so long to be doing it with sabonis i don't think they wanted to be running triangle concepts we've mm-hmm. talked about this many times and i think they only did it once they were backed into a corner and realized like hey we actually need to optimize that guy because this isn't working mm-hmm. And because of what the COVID situation was, but I don't think they're going to be running a bunch of post-ups for Duran, like what was happening in Memphis. I don't think that he's going to be posting more frequently than he's going to be used as the screener. And I certainly think that when he is the screener, that having Tyrese Halliburton as the ball handler is going to be a massive upgrade as a table setter, obviously, in addition to TJ McConnell in that regard as well, to a certain degree, but that doesn't mean that I still personally feel that given what I've seen in terms of Tyrese getting bottled up with length on the perimeter at times, whether it's a wing, whether it's, you know, somebody they draft or a big having internal development, I still think they're going to need to have somebody who can play with some degree of force and an interior presence against switches beyond what we've seen to this point, because miles numbers look okay on a very small sample size in the post, but we can look at possessions where it's like, he can go from being patient and feeling out what the defense is to like, you know, and, and Drew Holiday, don't get me wrong, Drew Holiday's a good versatile defender, but like catching it and turning around and not even being able to get a shot off, or having a pound dribble that goes absolutely nowhere. And the same thing with Isaiah Jackson, like Ajax is kind of the reverse in that, you know, he'll see that he has a switch and he'll like go take a step back too. Or, you know, and Goga's like just picking up hooking fouls all the time. Like I didn't Uh, really see a lot of development in Goga's post play either. So some of it's, you know, lack of early preparation for all three of them, but that is still an area that they would need some degree of upgrading in because they were willing to throw it to guys on mismatches at times, both pre and post trade. So um, when we're looking at Duran, I kind of feel like his footwork's okay. And he's a ridiculous athlete. And that showed up more at the college level where, you know, at the NBA level, I don't think he's just going to be completely overpowering people to this descent, but he goes out of his way to finish with his right. Like really out of his way, yeah. really out of his way to finish to the right where, you know, he might be on the left side of the basket and he could take an easy, you know, drop step, finish with the left. And he's going to go you know, underneath the rim and try to flip it up reverse with his right, or just try to shoot it with his right on the left side of the basket and get rejected. But I just feel like too often he's being dictated to in the post where instead of countering for whatever coverage he's seeing, he goes and kind of settles for these like rush jumpers because he doesn't really have a face-up game and the jumper like can range from kind of like with his floater. Sometimes it just kind of looks like he's throwing it with his right hand.
0: Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting like i uh i i think we're in the same boat like i don't know entirely what to make well i mean i know what to make of it it's not good right now um but just in terms of what it could be i i think that's where i'm i'm not sure like i, I don't know if it can get to, to being on that much better because like you mentioned it's not even like it's a strength problem it just feels like he's kind of comfortable like well not I mean once he gets uncomfortable he's comfortable just kind of taking some more um some of those shots and I think uh it's not awesome especially like when you're a size deficient player at, at the position I should say I don't mean like I mean obviously he's a huge guy but when you're going to be facing guys who routinely have size and length on you or maybe not length because he's got an insane wingspan but like When you're routinely facing somebody who's taller than you like like we saw especially against um against teams that really could crowd him even if it's just one-on-one or or bring weak side help um like you saw some of the issues with that and i i do wonder how much that can improve like what do you think would you even want to see obviously like you want to see everything but what's like a logical next step for him with that
1: well i mean number one i don't really think the pace is like I don't think the Pacers are going to be posting him against an opposing center. I don't really think that's going to be a thing. I think it's going to be, mm-hmm. he gets a switch. Like what I just mentioned in, in the clip with miles Turner, like maybe you have, I mean, not even that I would really want to post him against drew holiday, but let's use that as an example. He gets to post on a switch there. Tyrese can't get into the paint against Giannis, whoever it is. So they decide to throw it inside. He's got to he can't be dictated to like, it's because he just wants to, if he can't automatically just back down the guy with like brute force and footwork, then he just gets kind of stonewalled and just, like I said, takes a bad jump shot. And to this point, it's got to be one or the other. He's either going to have to get better at, at just turning and facing and taking a jump shot, which, I mean, kind of feels like, you know, if you look at his jump shot overall, I don't know, you know, he made eight for the entire season. I don't know if that's the next step or if you're hoping that he can, again, sense the defense and be able to have an actual counter move. Because to this point, he doesn't necessarily have a move, let alone like, okay, the defense took away my hook shot. Here's my counter to get to the next thing. It's more so just relying on, like I said, footwork and brute force against the person. And if the person holds up, which there are lots of guards in the NBA, I mean, I shouldn't say lots, but there are some guards in the NBA who are going to be able to hold up and hold their spot against him. And where's he going to go next? Yeah. Because if he sees a double, which, you know, Miles only saw like, you know, a couple of doubles this year. I don't know how many times he would see a double against the switch, but if he does, that's kind of the other part of the problem too, because he really tends to stare down his targets and make predetermined reads. And then there's just not a lot of manipulation or process when he goes to make those passes, which is going to show up even more and is like my biggest pet peeve that like, if I were a team, I would be running, cutting an off-ball movement around post-ups pretty much exclusively, but especially when a person doesn't necessarily have a physical um, advantage and Memphis wasn't always doing that. So, um, yeah, his numbers in the post, if people want to know from Synergy, just are are not very good. Stop, Zero, stop.
0: He's already done.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 0.776 points per possession. Um, in the post is overall post ups in the half court. He grades out as below average. He was 26 to 65, 40% conversion rate. So um, I mainly only picked that again. I know it's not going to be a massive part of something that Rick Carlisle does. But again, if I'm looking for, I'm just strictly comparing him to the other things on the roster and needs among the other bigs that you have, I don't necessarily think that he's going to be a massive upgrade in that department.
0: Yeah, no, I agree, um, and I do want to like you touched on with the post ups too. Like, I think that's kind of where I was thinking more of when I mentioned I want to see him get into things quicker. I think part of that too, like you mentioned at Memphis, was the spacing. Like, like you mentioned so often, like he'd get the ball and you could see like he's reading the floor. He's trying to see like, okay, is there anything? And like you mentioned too, he would stare. Like, there's one blatantly in the Houston game where, he like kind of part of it was the ball placement. I think he's expecting the guy to to slide down a little bit, but like threw it right into a Houston defender's hands, like looking right at him. Um, But I also think part of it too, like you mentioned, like the cutting on that Memphis team was like, I don't really understand what was going on there sometimes. Um, So I do imagine it would look better in the NBA, but again, like, it's still like, you have to be good enough with the ball in your hands to demand that kind of stuff. Um My only this, thing, like, yeah.
1: sorry, just a little bit to jump in. My only thing with that is, is like a lot of this stuff I'm looking at, And it's like, especially when I'm trying to comprehend, like, let's pretend that the Pacers, you know, think he's good enough in his own right. Want to take him at number six. You'd obviously be moving at least two of the current centers you probably have on the Mm -hmm. roster at that point. Maybe only one, like trying to understand how he would fit with the other people in my head. I just keep thinking, like, especially on the offensive end, like we already just watched this with Sabonis. And as a two-time yeah. all-star and what he's able to do, manipulating passes out of the post um, the Pacers scored over a point per possession on his passes out of the post last year, which is like better than what a lot of teams get on like off screening and spot up actions that are seen as like more high efficiency plays. So when we already saw Sabonis in that role last year, and we've already seen what Sabonis can do on the short roll last year, it's like, am i envisioning that this is going to fit better like i know i have to take in the other end of the court and i do think you'd have you know i much you know better ability to roam and have defensive coverage than what you had in the reverse but like just offensively it's like okay i saw that
0: yeah no exactly and it's it like 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 you're saying i mean i think ultimately you and i are in the same same idea of the he's not going to be the pick like i i mean I guess more things could shock me, but I would be very surprised if he's the pick, especially just given what the team trajectory and everything is. And like you mentioned, okay, if they do take him, then why? Like, or or like or not not why. Why is the wrong way to put it, but like, okay, how is this going to be different? Like you said, offensively. Like Sabonis is other than Nicole Jokic, just about the best in the in the world at creating uh creating looks for his teammates out of opportunities like that. So If you weren't super willing to lean into that, then what how on earth are you going to be willing to lean into that when it's a much more raw? B doesn't have that same ceiling and upside, most likely, and and B is just not gonna be as good. Like I totally butchered those letters, but you get the point. Like it's
1: no, I totally understand the point. Um Yeah, I mean that that's where I keep going back to because like let's just talk about it a little bit. Like let's pretend that they're able to move Isaiah Jackson for uh, a wing or a player I mean we kind of talked about this in the Jeremy Sohan pod but they're able to move Isaiah Jackson for a player of equal caliber at a different position of need and you're going to have you're going to have Dern and Miles like mm-hmm. what is Miles doing in this scenario offensively
0: well he's not going to be a solo five I can tell you that much uh I mean yeah he's going to be off the ball again he's just going to be spotting up um yeah, like
1: best best case, he's he's back in his beloved corner where he shot thirty three percent for his career and is hopefully like doing some off ball screening and like figuring out how to find his own usage. Because I mean, you're not you're not putting Durant in the corner, and like no. in the reverse, like let's pretend that okay, Miles doesn't want to sign an extension. We really believe in Durant and his own merits. We're gonna trade Miles for again another player at a different position of need, and you're gonna play like. I mean, my guess is you'd be bringing Isaiah Jackson off the bench, but at a certain point in time, they are going to have to play together. And you have invested two first round picks into these two players. Like what are the two of them doing at the same time?
0: You better hope that Isaiah starts taking seven or eight threes per 100 um, and, and hitting. Uh, but even then, like then, okay, then he's going to get challenged to take it off the dribble. And then what? And like, there's a lot that would have to go through there that makes me feel more confident in what that looks like. And that could take years of development.
1: Yeah, you're like basically hoping offensively that Durin in the short roll can be guarded more closely. And then it's like, you know, Draymond and Kevin Looney and you're throwing up a lob there or, you know, I mean, this is one thing that we could have brought to you when we were talking about the post up. I did mention in my little section that one area where I like his post up a little bit better is actually when he's up running handoffs. Cause this is a part of yeah. his offense that they did use him at Memphis. He did run a fair amount of delay. Some of the same types of actions that they, that the Pacers run out of that when they get to the second side with a 45 cutter into the handoff. And there are a few times where he will fake that, put the ball on the floor and then back down into a post up where he can easily do all of it with his right hand, get to the rim. Um, those are similar things that, you know, if we're being honest, like Sabonis is left hand dominant still. Um, he can do some with his right hand and in some cases for him like it doesn't always matter all that much because he can kind of just overpower and get where he needs to go and we know he can do that at the NBA level but you know he he did some of that out of keepers to get to his strong hand or from the top of the key as well I like that a little bit better but again even if you're having him up top at delay it's, it's the same situation that we just saw with Miles and Sabonis where made I mean we now know like Miles has the highest percentage of assists out of handoffs as anybody in the NBA last season. It made way more sense to have him up top operating and wheeling there with Miles in the corner. And we know that, you know, on record, Miles doesn't want to do that. And I'm not saying that the Pacers should cater or accommodate that necessarily. But if it was already an issue last year, like, and I'm not even saying that Duran would be ready ready to do that right away. I don't necessarily think that he would be, but um, I'm just seeing kind of more of the same issues unless you're just like completely wiping the slate clean because like you would for me like the Pacers would have to be thinking that this guy is like legitimately you know one of the best players in the class and feel so good about him that they'd be willing to just you know we're going younger with Tyrese he's going to be our center of the future just like what they basically said about Tyrese and be willing to just you know again wipe the slate clean essentially.
0: Yeah no exactly I think that is the I mean that can kind of flow into our Our main point, like, if you are taking Jalen Duran, it is to be a better team in two or three years. It is not to do anything right now. Like, and we've kind of hit on this a little bit. Like, you're not taking him as a replacement for Miles or anything like that. That would be the wrong reason to do it. Like, I think if you're taking Jalen Duran, you better be doing it because you think he's like I personally. Like, obviously, it's higher end outcome. Like, I think he's a. uh, If things really go right, he's a defensive player of the year candidate. Like multiple times, like he's that level of, of of where his tools are at, where his instincts are at already. Um, the way that he can he can he can bend the floor defensively, and then offensively, you're. I don't want to just say you're hoping he gets to neutral, but I do think like a lot of it's going. I don't want to say it'll constrict roster building, but to a degree, like you need him to really become such a good margins player that he is able to not just be a zero. On offense or like to be better than a neutral i should say like a lot would have to happen like you're hoping okay and i guess i can flow into my stock down. like my stock down is his jumper right now and it's not necessarily like i uh i have no interest in him taking threes in the nba level because i just don't think that's going to happen like based on any kind of touch indicators or projection that's not going to be there like in the slightest and even then if he if he is taking threes like teams are not going to care like it's going to be a win for teams you're going to let it happen um like miles was a much better shooter at his stage um and even then like we've seen how that's worked out in the nba at times and part of that like there's more to it than that it's not just that simple but um i think for me like if you're really going to be a player who is uh, and like we've seen with Nadia, it, I don't think that him and Bam are like a one-to-one comp or anything like that. But just to talk about like some of the similarities, like I do think the idea of Jalen Dern is somebody who you're using as a playmaking hub and getting the most of out most out of as a DHO operator and becoming a, an awesome screener. And like Bam bio is just about the best screener in the NBA. Um, I do think it's different because Dern has more vertical pop as a spacer which adds another element because like bam is not quite like that just throw up the ball and he's getting it because he's a ridiculous catch radius type guy like Durn is that kind of guy in my opinion um but then you look at like okay well bam is has gotten pretty like not amazing but he's gotten pretty good at, at taking guys off the dribble in the mid-range the shot still isn't like the most efficient of all time but it's enough to make teams care except like, again, in the playoffs is an entirely different thing to worry about. But that is something that comes up like, OK, well, if you're building this team to be more than just a first round out, like the idea is getting to to somewhere around there. And when it really matters, like, OK, if Jalen does have the ball and he's facing up, is a team going to to matter? I mean, is a team going to care enough to actually step out and not just contest him? But like, I don't even like I think like the jumper has to get to around like low 40s percentile for mid-range for teams to even care to contest it like and that's even then that's more just like mentally it's hard to not contest those so i know i'm going off on a ramble but point being like if you're really getting the most out of him if his let's say his handle tightens up a little bit and um his feel keeps improving like like it showed this year um like that's that is years of development for that stuff to come along so point yeah point being like that's this pick would very much be building for years to come not just for this current era of the team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, cuz you I mean, bringing up the shot in general like part of the thing is is he shot 8 of 22 on half court jump shots and just for point of reference, Isaiah Jackson shot 6 of 23 on half court jump shots this year. So, that's somewhat comparable, but um it's almost like you almost could have done with a few less of those to be honest. Cause like some of the jump shots and how synergy tracks it, like they're not going to count the ones that he took in the post, but some of them were just kind of bad shots to be honest. Like um, he took one, three and I'm with you. I don't really think that's going to do anything to bend the defense. And then it it becomes a point of how else is he reshaping it aside from, you know, being a rim roller, who's going to maybe bring in some backside help well, not maybe, he will bring in some backside help whenever he's going to the rim, just like what we see with Isaiah Jackson at times. I mean, sometimes that's a double-edged sword because, you know, if if Chris Duarte is back there, it's more him getting a wide-open dunk, which dunks are a high-percentage shot, but not necessarily reshaping it in that role either. I mean, he's a good rim runner in transition, good on the offensive glass. We didn't really talk about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Pretty aggressive going to swim moves on the offensive glass to get and finish up putbacks at a pretty decent rate, but... It's like what I asked whenever we did the Isaiah Jackson recap pod. Like, what other area do you currently see him developing at? Because you know, for the Pacers and for Durant, if he were drafted by the Pacers in the immediacy, like I haven't seen a lot of teams necessarily scheming yet for Isaiah Jackson. But like, when you're not able to just be, you know, a lob catcher, rim runner, and there's like a little bit, I don't want to put it this way, but a little bit more thought going into, you know, how are we taking that guy out of the game? Like what else does he exactly do? And I mm-hmm. think that his handle does look better in side to side situations. Like you mentioned, um, I think he can do some stuff in handoff situations. And again, I might even point out like one of my biggest pet peeves when we continue to watch and and knowing that miles wanted to do more of some of these other things is like, he's in year six or seven and a lot of times in handoffs he will still dribble at his teammate instead of dribbling at the defender and then like we're wondering why that action's getting blown up it's like well you have to actually like that's kind of the whole point like dribbling straight at the defender so that you can go into that contact and then knowing when to release and you know you might have to do multiple pivots or do a get action with that guy like sometimes i think we look at handoffs as just being like you know kind of like the Drew Hanlon thing of kind of, you know, who cares? And I get that to an extent. Sometimes there's not a lot of technique needed there. You can just stand there and and the guard wheels around you and gets the ball and goes to the rim. I'm not saying that required a lot of manipulation on your part, but sometimes it does. Sometimes you need to be able to hand, handle it when there's an overplay and be able to throw the pass over the top. Um, that's not going to get tracked as a handoff assist, but – um, it did require you being the DHO operator to do it. So I do think that it's going to take, you know, some years of development to see him be able to do some of those other things. And even then I'm still not entirely sure of how many ways he would have in his arsenal to actually bend defenses. And it's not, and I think we're both on the same page. It's not like I'm thinking he needs to develop into being like a knockdown three point shooter. Cause sometimes at the big position, you know, sometimes it's it's tough to know which one's more of a myth. The idea of, you know, bigs who can shoot automatically being a stretch five or bigs who can kind of hang on a switch once in a while, like being one through five switching <sighs> bigs. But, um, yeah, I think that we're mostly um, in lockstep on that. That would have to be a pick that you would make and and be patient in bringing him along to, the, to get a little bit more of that out of him.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. Um, and I think like kind of like I hit on earlier too, just in terms of the speed that he does things like I think especially when you're a margins based player and what I mean by that like, like you're talking about like if you're a guy who is not the focal point of a defense or is not necessarily um, someone who is being schemed for by the defense or I should say in a, in a positive way like you're, you're feasting in the pockets of what the defense is giving you like, you have to be so good at it to really warrant it or to not to warrant it strongly but you have to be so good at it to become a positive like um like and again i don't mean i don't mean to just keep being like bam out of bio but like i do think you saw times where if he wasn't constantly like 100 aggressive and i think people were a little bit too unkind to him with how the uh eastern conference finals played out because i still thought he played pretty well but like again like if you're not always able to 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 get downhill or, or like if your jumper isn't going. Like same thing, like it's the Bruce Brown floater thing. Like if you're not hitting at a high level consistently, it's just hard to make the defense care. So, um, yeah, it, it makes it – it definitely makes it really interesting.
1: And the other thing that I did like bring up in short here is because well, – oh, I was just picking which games we were going to be watching and I was clicking the check mark. And in stat, whenever um, we measure are they averaged, across houston alabama and virginia tech which they played houston three times but he averaged one block to 3.4 fouls in these games compared to 2.1 blocks and 2.7 fouls in all of his other games so like these were three opponents that went to the tournament this year so i do think against better competition that you might see a little bit of that uh switch up flip-flop or that is an indicator that he's going to still need to develop as a rim protector, given that his numbers, uh, not as many blocks, more fouls to sum that up since I was having trouble getting the words out of my mouth there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No worries. I would actually, yeah, I agree. Like I actually think he's almost a better pick and roll defender than a rim protector right now. Would you agree with that?
1: Yes. And no, I mean, I'm not in love with his court. Like I said, I'm not in love with his court navigation completely and his recognition of when he needs to get over like the one that I have linked in my article, but, um, I, I, I think he's pretty, pretty darn impressive help side. I will say. Yeah.
0: Like he's better Uh, to me, like as a help side guy than a primary rim protector. Yeah. But yeah, again, like that's stuff that takes years to get better at. So, um, yeah. Do you, what else do you want to hit on in this?
1: Man, I think that we've mainly covered it from a pacer context. I mean, for me, it again, like just in summary, I think the Pacers need to know where Miles' is head at is to a degree in terms of the extension talks and whether they're willing to pay him $97 million right now. But I also can understand doing the measured approach, like what was the case with Victor, like see how Miles looks with Tyrese Halliburton as a primary guard. He's never played with somebody to that extent. And then you can kind of make that decision next year, even though I'd kind of like them to have the people that they're going to have on the roster. But it cannot be that you've – talked with miles and are like oh okay you know he's not going to sign at that dollar amount he wants to you know which is totally his prerogative he wants to be able to test free agency if that's what he wants and then be like oh well let's trade let's draft Jalen Duran and and you know block Isaiah Jackson from any upward mobility because that's going to be a cheaper option that's my main takeaway here so um my advice would be unless that they think that Jalen Dern is one of the best prospects out there and is the best player on the board when, when they're ready to go and are prepared to trade and move other people, this probably isn't the right fit for the Indiana Pacers.
0: Yep. Nope. I'm right there with you. I can't, I, I don't think I could add anything else to that.
1: I will um, say I do think he's a pretty good fit for the Charlotte Hornets.
0: <laughs> a very good fit for the Charlotte Hornets. Some might say Um he, yeah, he, if he gets to the right situation, I somebody someone I'm excited for. Like I, yeah, he's very fun. And that's um, the
1: thing. Like he does like, I mean, it's like what we said off top whenever I was saying like to a degree, he has some of the skills of all three of the centers that are currently on the roster. Like he is exciting to watch. I mean, there's no questioning his ridiculous athleticism and some of the stuff that he's shown in skill as well. It's just exactly what you said, finding the right fit for him so that he can develop all that.
0: Yeah, most definitely. Well, Caitlin, uh how do you feel about being done with the draft podcast now
1: it's crazy i don't know what i'm going to be doing with myself i feel like so much of the time in order to prepare for these and feel like i had seen enough that like it was almost kind of fortunate that the various two conference final series weren't always competitive every game because then i could just <laughs> yeah. be having two screens and and watching as many of these games as i could like i'd hate to guess how many games i've watched in the you know, two, three weeks since we started this, but um, doubt any of our guests are probably listening to this episode, but special thanks to all the guests who are willing to come on and take their time to come and talk with us. And I hope that the people who are listening have enjoyed and learned something here, or I shouldn't even say learn, but um, have a better idea of what the prospects would bring to the table if the Pacers draft any of these guys.
0: You want to hear something really wild? Oh, of course. You said two to three weeks. We've been doing this for a month and a half. Our first episode, I just was looking right now. Our first episode with Adam was on April 29th, talking about Jaden Ivy.
1: Yeah, we have been doing this. It's felt very reminiscent. Not that anybody's going to care about this, but like when I was in college, I was a history major Mm -hmm. and I got it in my head that it would be a good idea to take, I needed to get a world history class done. So I was like, I'm going to take that expedited. Russian history course that went up through like the Bolshevik revolution I'm like I'm going to take that over 5 weeks. Oh my and god. My professor had like no sense of the amount of work like this is like a legitimate thing. It would be like a Friday and we'd have to print out all this primary sourcing like we had multiple long papers we had to write over that five week time and she'd be like okay well read that biography of peter the great and have it done by monday and it was like a 550 page book in addition to reading the textbook and like i had no life like legitimately for five weeks i did nothing but study russian history i'd have like an hour off a day and i'd be getting up at the crack of dawn that's kind of what this felt like a redux of my russian (laughs) history class
0: that's hilarious. Uh I can I can get to the same. Yeah. It's been a lot of watching games. Like, I mean, you and I both watch a ton of games regardless, but this is a it's a different animal when you're uh, watching some of these games. So uh yeah. Um I appreciate you being willing to do this because it's been very fun. I love talking about the draft and I love scouting. So it's been uh, it's been awesome to do it with you. Um to everyone listening again. If you haven't already, I'll I'll be sure to put together a big thread of all of the pods that we've done together. Um of course, check out our work. I've missed writing on the last couple. I will be writing on this one, but please read the last two that Caitlin has done because they've been tremendous. Read all of them that that we've done because they've they've been very good. And most importantly, have a good rest of your day. And thank you for listening.